Okay, we're back with episode number 10. Our guest today is Christina Vergara Alshire. She placed 23rd at the U.S. Olympic Trials Marathon in 2020 at age 38. She's a registered dietitian, so we talk a good bit about food. And she has a personal best in the marathon of 234.25, which was at the Los Angeles Marathon in 2018. So here we go. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Marathon Running Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Could you start us off by giving us some of your background, uh, like where you're from and then like kind of like when and how you got into running? Sure. Um, right now I'm in Vegas. Well, a, a kind of like a, a little bit outside of Las Vegas. It's called Henderson in a little suburb called Green Valley. I've been here for 24, 5. Oh, like 26 years or something like that longer than I can remember. But um, we moved here from Guatemala and um, have been here ever since. I've traveled a little bit, but basically have been in Vegas all my life. Um, started running a little bit later in life. I had always been in athletics. I started swimming, then played soccer, then just kind of did the whole gym thing did some cycling, stuff like that. And um, it wasn't until later that I discovered running um, just as a hobby and to kind of like get rid of stress. And it just evolved into um, competitive running over time. Also, you're a registered dietitian, is that correct? Mm -hmm. How did you get onto that as your career path? So always kind of had an interest in nutrition from my mom. She has always been really um, into nutrition, just like reading books. And, um, you know, she made everything from scratch when we were young and um, always tried to be really healthy. So I always had kind of an interest in it. But it wasn't until later that I was thinking about a career path. Um, And I was, again, kind of a... I started out thinking I wanted to be a lawyer, did not work, (laughs) and um, stopped going to school for a little while just to kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And um, when I was ready to go back, I just tried to think of something that I always liked and enjoyed, and it was two things, um, athletics and nutrition. So I figured that might be a cool path to take, and so I started – yeah, that's why I went back to school and, and did the nutrition thing and with a concentration in sports nutrition, hoping to kind of uh, marry the two. So what does your, your your practice, what does that look like now? What kind of, uh, you know, are you part of a larger practice? Are you on your own? Yep. So right now I work part time for an online um, like a telehealth company, and mm-hmm. my um, my main population is helping people um, that have diabetes or heart disease um, and manage those conditions. And then for my myself, kind of on the side, I work with athletes. Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. So when you say you started running later in life and got more competitive as you went along, and before that you were kind of just a general recreational athlete, um, so you didn't run competitively for any school team or anything like that? Nope, I didn't. Um, I played soccer in high school and then, um, like I said, I, I went to college just for like a year, but it was just, uh, like a community college and they didn't really have a goal of, um, you know, competing in athletics or anything like that. When I went to school, it was primarily just, you know, focused on, education, but I always stayed active. Um, and I, I wasn't really good at soccer. So there wasn't really a future for me there. Anyways, it was just something that I did because I enjoyed being in sports. Um, and actually, I got into soccer because when we moved here, I couldn't find a swim team to join. So I just <laughs> kind of played soccer because I, my brother did my dad did, um, I knew, you know, about the sport. But um, I wasn't really that great at it. So um, so once I graduated high school, I didn't really think about um, playing in college or anything like that. I just, um, again, just kind of stayed fit um, because I enjoy 
um, you know, being active. So it actually was later and it wasn't. Um, so I moved to Connecticut for a couple years just to get away from Vegas and try a new place. And um, I met a really great friend. We're still really good friends now, but she ran and she's the one who was like, let's go for a run. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sure, let's do it. And we would do it just like, honestly, just for fun. Like we would go to the park and just run around there. And we'd like, it was so funny because we joked like we'd end up frolicking in the park after all of our runs. It was truly just for fun. Um, and I did that and she only did short runs, but I kind of started to enjoy longer runs. So I'd go off by myself a lot of times after we would run together and did that for a couple years. And once I decided I wanted to go back to school, I came back to Vegas and just kind of kept on running on my own here. Um, so did that for a while while in school. Um, again, just kind of trying to manage stress and um, get away from studying, you know. And uh, then after I graduated, I started running with a group um, from the hospital that I was um, interning with. And from there, um, we then met up with a kind of uh, another a group of people that were being coached. Um, and that's when I started to um, think about running more competitively. So it just kind of happened by chance. So from what I've been able to find, mostly on the World Athletics website, they kind of have a database with um, all these people's progressions. It looks like your first marathon was in... 2011 rock and roll mm -hmm. las vegas does that sound right yep yep and you're in like 331 yes um that was a fun experience i basically trained myself i had no idea what i was doing um <laughs> i just started running longer and longer on the weekends and i got up to 20 miles and um Again, I had no clue what I was doing. I think my husband's dad gave me a book on running and I read it just to kind of get a concept of what I should be doing. And um, yeah, so ran Las Vegas, the Rock and Roll Marathon. I could barely walk afterwards. Um, my hips were hurting so bad, probably because I was lacking the strength. Um, but after I kind of recovered from that, um, I just wanted to, you know, do it again. Um, yeah. But it wasn't until a couple years after that, that I actually started training a little bit more with purpose, like for competing. Um, the group that I mentioned that we started training with several years later, the coach, um, she thought that I could qualify for the Olympic trials just by seeing me run. Um, we'd do some some track sessions and some interval sessions. And I was just always trying to keep up with the faster group. And again, just for fun, I just really liked it. And I liked pushing myself. And so she thought that um, she could develop me and um, potentially qualify for the Olympic trials. So that's when I started actually training more with like a purpose. So like, if you look, I'm, I'm kind of looking at your, on the paper, your progression from the original marathon in 2011 all the way to like the trials a year ago and it's just this really steady progression like mm -hmm. um there's not really any one big huge jump you made but what when you look back over like the past 10 years do you see it as just a one long steady improvement pretty linear or were there any points along the way where it was like a huge jump or gain in fitness I think so. I mean, I think it's been just more consistency over time. Um, and I guess also to just like believing in like my ability, right? Because as I said, I didn't have the background of, you know, growing up in the sport or um, I was competitive, but not, it wasn't like, like I am now, you know, so it wasn't very structured. So when this initial coach first told me that she thought I could qualify for the Olympics, I was excited, but at the same time, I almost didn't believe it. So 
um, it's kind of a balance between seeing the progression, um, just steadily seeing the progression, but also like believing that I can do it. So I think that for me, um, small jumps in fitness is something I can handle. <laughs> I know it yeah. sounds weird, but um, it's, yeah, it's, it's um, steady progression, I feel like is, is a little bit more manageable for me. And I like to see that progression. Um, and again, it's just kind of like the belief in that I can do it, that, that has to catch up as well. And are you still with the same group and have the same coach that you're talking about? <laughs> No, um, I was coached by her until um, 2017, the year after the Olympics. Um, I took a, like a year off from coaching. I just, again, wanted to um, not have that pressure, I guess you could say. I wasn't really used to that pressure. Um, and I had other things going on with school um, and not with school, sorry. Um, that was after school, but just with like work and, um, um, newly married and all that, I just, uh -huh. I was trying to find a balance. So I took a year off from being coached, but I was still running and, uh, kind of coaching myself, I guess, almost just from past, um, workouts and books that I've read and stuff like that. And I was staying the same. I wasn't improving and I wasn't getting worse um, throughout that year. Um, and so after that year, I kind of got the interest again to just push myself and see what I could do. Um, and I knew I needed to be coached because I, again, I didn't really have the experience. I knew how to stay fit, um, but I didn't know how to take myself to the next level. So I reached out to my current coach um, to see if he would, you know, be interested in coaching me. And I've been with him ever since. Okay. Uh, what are some of the biggest changes that have occurred in your training from like, say going back to when you just started to your first coach and then like now to your second coach, like, have there been any really dramatic changes in the approach to running that's happened for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, with my coach now, we do a lot of um, longer, um, longer intervals, longer runs with workouts. So a lot of more marathon specific training, um, a lot of longer tempos and more volume. So I think it's more just overall more volume and intensity, I guess you could say, but I think right now I can handle it versus before I probably wouldn't be able to handle it. So I think it was a good progression for me. My previous coach was more um, shorter, like lower volume, but more in, more intensity, like shorter workouts, um, quicker things. And that was good for the time. Um, but I think it stopped working. So um, right now I do longer stuff, more marathon specific stuff um, with speed. Like we always have speed included in it. So there's, there's a range. Um, but I think that the longer stuff is um, kind of a little bit more suited to me. And so I think that I've been able to progress more steadily with this types of, the, type, the type of workout that we're doing now. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to ask you more about your training, but first, um, can we step back and kind of think about where we are? We're about at one year later. We're about one year out from your from the uh, 2020 trials where you placed 23rd. What was 2020, the rest of 2020 like running wise for you? And what does the horizon look like for you? What are you what are you looking to do now? Um, yeah, so 2020 was really kind of like a blur, but it, it's interesting because it was a blur, but there was so much that we did at the same time. Um, so after the trials, that's when it was like the last race that, you know, happened and then everything started shutting down. Um, and, um, a lot of my, you know, running partners and friends, um, including myself, all of a sudden had a lot of time on our hands. <laughs> um, and so um, we just kept training. It was like a one long training camp for all of us. We had nothing else to do really. Um, 
you know, everything was closed. Um, and so we just decided to make the best of it and, and keep training. And um, through that, we actually, um, I feel like became closer as a group. Um, and um, we started training more consistently together and really started encouraging each other and pushing each other towards new goals. We did our own time trials and races. Um, and we actually put on a couple um, races that we were able to invite um, some elite runners to come and participate in. So it was a lot of fun things that we kind of created out of um, necessity, um, but also just kind of evolved because we had more time on our hands. So um, I think I ran my, yeah, I did. No, I didn't think I ran my first 1500 on the track, um, my first mile. Um, and then I PR'd in the 5K and the 10K. So <laughs> it was a good year um, for that. And then, um, and actually the half marathon that we put on. So I, I, I got a few PRs um, just through the, the training and again, out of necessity and just trying to keep it fun and different. I've never trained for shorter distances. It was always um, in a cycle of half marathon training or marathon training that I run a 5k or a 10k. And so changing it up a little bit was, was fun. Um, especially since we didn't know if there was going to be any races, right? Everything was getting canceled. And so, um, not wanting to be stressed out about, you know, a race on the horizon and training really hard and it getting canceled. We just, created our own um, little mini race series and time trials and had fun with it. Um, so it was a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, this year, um, I think that I, again, I want to do something different. So um, I was having a lot of fun. Um, we were, um, do we were just doing some of the like shorter, faster training in between, like um, uh, just just the in between like the longer stuff. And yeah. I saw that I was getting really good at it, um, and that excited me, right? Because I'd been training like for back to back marathons, right? Um, and so the shorter stuff is something that kind of intrigued me, and I just wanted to see if potentially I could get faster in the shorter stuff. So we're going to start training for a 10 K um, in a little bit right now. I'm just um, coming back from a break. So right. doing a lot of base training right now. So, okay. Yeah. Very cool. So you said um, it used to be just kind of one long half marathon marathon cycle after another. And last year was the first time you'd really, I think you said first time you've ever raced a 1500 or mile mm -hmm. and then went back and focused on 5k, 10k. How did that go for you? I mean, how do you think the times you ran in those shorter distances like stack up relative to what you've been able to do in the marathon and half marathon? Um, considering that I had never trained for it and I it wasn't like a full cycle, like a training block, sure. you know. Right. I right. think I did pretty good. So I ran 449 for the mile and 438 for the 1500, which again, isn't like mind blowing or anything like that. But um, I was really proud with those numbers. Um, and so yeah, that's kind of why I felt like maybe I could um, get a little faster just just really for fun. I, I don't think I could compete in those, um, those distances. But just to see what I can get out of my body. Yeah. Um, which is primarily my focus. Well, it's interesting to um, hear people's, you know, because sometimes people tend to naturally have an inclination toward either the longer stuff or the shorter stuff. So it's interesting to see um, how they can complement each other. Like, it'll be interesting to see next time you go and build up for a marathon, like how the shorter stuff has maybe given you a new facet of your fitness or something. Um, mm -hmm. like how they build off each other. Um, what about the 5K and 10K? How did those go? Yeah, so the 5K, it, I, even though I PR'd, which is great, um, yeah, I yeah. didn't um, do as good as I would have liked. Um, but I, what 
was my time? I think it was like 16, 19 or something like that. And the 10K was 34.08. So I know I yeah. could get faster. Um, it just wasn't like the day that we did the time trial race, whatever. Like it wasn't the greatest day for me. Um, so I was kind of disappointed um, with the time because I was really trying to break 16 minutes. Um, but it gives me hope, you know, that I could do it because I feel like I had more in me. My previous um, 5K PR was 1634. Okay. Um, so I, I think that I, I mean, it was still a PR, but I wanted to break 16 minutes. <laughs> um, but I still think I can do it. It's also interesting because, uh, like I said, this your progression has kind of been the reverse of what you typically see people who are running like, you know, top 30 at the Olympic trials. Most people focused on the mile 5K, progressed to the 10K, and then eventually the marathon. Mm-hmm. But um, kind of going back and talking about the longer stuff, the marathon, um, the past few years, have there been any certain types of training runs that you personally feel just kind of in your gut, like give you the biggest bang for your buck or like you feel give you the most benefit, you know, like Mm -hmm. just long runs versus intervals or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because there's this one particular workout that I tell my coach is my nemesis, but it's also like, if I can nail it, I know like I'm in really good shape and it's, um, a 15 K run, um, steady. Right. So like at the pace that I want to be running at, and it's really intimidating because it's, you know, quite a long way to go, at you know, race pace. Um, and so again, it's more like mentally for me, challenging to um break that up and you know not focus on getting over it but just like working through it and so it gives me a lot of confidence but on the flip side if i don't nail it then i get really defeated so i'm still (laughs) trying to work on that part of it so that's one um another one is um like a cut down, a long run cut down. So 25 or 26 miles, um, cutting down pace every 5k. And I always feel really strong and really yeah. confident um, with that type of workout. And I really enjoy it. Um, because you're always you're just kind of focused on the 5k that you're in. And so it breaks it down for me mentally, just getting through that, that piece of it. Um, and so after that's done, you just kind of move on to the next 5k and the next 5k and work through those um, till you're done. And it's, it's fun for me. I really like those two particularly. Is that the longest uh, run you'll do in training, like in the 25, 26 mile range of any intensity? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's as far as I'll go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you're in the nutrition field. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, as an athlete and specifically a distance runner, what are the biggest kind of boxes you want to check just generally throughout the year um, for yourself personally in terms of nutrition? Like, are there a few key things like every day or every week that you just want to make sure happen as far as what foods you're eating? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I start with like just a year round healthy diet, you know, because, um, deficiencies can occur over time. Um, so you really can't make up for those in the month or the week leading up to a race. So I really try Mm. to, um, have a, a solid nutrition plan year round. Um, and then depending on what I'm doing, um, whether it's like more strength or speed or distance, um, just, making sure I'm getting the right amount of um, calories and protein um, for recovery. Um, so I try to think about what my week is going to look like and what the focus is, and then just um, try to get the right amount of nutrients to support those adaptations. Um, and then 
making sure that I'm getting enough to eat after my workouts, because I often will have to work right after um, I run, I run typically in the morning, and then I have to go to work. Um, And so it's easy to just, you know, finish your workouts, take a shower, try to stretch a little bit, and then jump right into work. And then it's like hours that you've gone without eating anything. So really just trying to make sure that um, I'm getting something good to eat right after my workouts. And then here in Vegas, because it's so dry, and we get quite toasty in the the summer months, it's just staying on top of hydration because um, you get so dehydrated um, when you're running outside and and especially in the summer months, it's really hard to catch up if you don't don't pay attention to your hydration. So those are the main focuses for me. This is interesting too, because the last person I interviewed was also a dietitian, um, and she finished thirtieth at the trials. Um, oh, nice. Mikhail Montgomery, and uh, she was saying this has been like the last year or so, or a few months. This has been the first period in her life where she's felt like she's been at kind of optimal weight, mm-hmm. um, and she's been running for a really long time. But she said for so many years she felt like she was about 10 to 12 pounds overweight and even running 90 miles a week was uh, she felt like she still had extra kind of excess weight she was carrying around. And she kind of finally just got really serious and structured with her diet and, and feels like she's in a good place now. But I think it's easy to think that someone running uh, um, training for marathons or running 70, a hundred miles a week uh, it would almost be impossible to, eat too much and it certainly it's very important to make sure you are eating enough but when it comes to thinking about you know competing and your times and performance Mm -hmm. you also want to factor in like you know the weight does come into play and i know Mm -hmm. it's a sensitive topic because we you know being underweight can be just as dangerous as being overweight so Mm -hmm. we don't want to err too far either way but um how do you, or do you even think about that at all? Like, how do you manage the amount of food you're eating um, for training and recovery, but making sure it's like kind of like the optimal amount and not too much or too little, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it obviously plays a role. And like you said, under or overweight isn't ideal. You want to find the best um, weight where you're performing well, you feel like you have enough energy, you're not getting injured. Um, and you're able to, you know, race fast. Um, and a lot of times, even like for myself, even though I'm, you know, in the field and I work with, you know, athletes and other types of patients every day, when it comes to your own plan, um, you have to still think about it because time can get away from you. Um, you have other obligations. And so, Often you can fall into the trap of convenience, just like everyone else. And because we do run, we might think like, oh, well, it's okay if I just grab this bar or, you know, I can eat whatever I want because I'm running. And I feel like over time, um, it's not the case, right? Like your body adapts to the training and it's not so you're not burning as many calories as you did when you first started. So you have to always adjust with that as well. And, and the types of foods that you're eating too, like there's so many sports foods like bars and powders and that type of a thing. And even though it's convenient, your body might not respond the same way and can sometimes cause you to gain weight if you're eating a lot of processed foods that cause inflammation. So you may just be holding on to more water um, and they often don't give you the body composition that you want, like whole foods will. So it's really about planning, right? Like I tell all my clients is you have to plan ahead of time because um, life is going to get in the way and you might have the best intentions with all the amazing foods in your refrigerator, but without time, it, they're just going to sit there and you're going to reach for a bar or um, a protein shake or something like that. And um, it's not going to be favorable if you're trying to like have body composition goals in my opinion and from what I've seen over time um like the processed foods don't really um give you the same body composition or outcomes as whole foods 
So it's really just about planning ahead of time and finding two or three like meals, like your base meals that work really well for you. Like for me, it's protein oatmeal in the morning or after workouts or a smoothie. And I'm okay with eating that every day. <laughs> um, you know, or like, I just make bowls of like leftovers with like, rice or quinoa or sweet potatoes or something like that and change it up a little bit. But again, I'm okay with eating the same thing. I'm not I don't really get bored with eating the same things over and over again. Um, but I know they work for me. So like finding a couple things that you know, work for you, and that you can make pretty quickly and easily and then just um, making sure you have all the right ingredients. And then just um, checking in, I guess, with yourself, if you have certain goals, um, you know, asking yourself if the foods that you're eating are working for you, because our body responds so differently to different foods. I've self experimented with different types of diets and strategies and I've found what works for me and what doesn't and it might be very different for other people so you'll always um you know learning from experience as well and um and that's okay if something that is working for your friend doesn't work for you we're all so different so just kind of trying to find um the foods that your body responds best to this is a this kind of goes for training and eating. Um, it's like this balance between going by what your body is telling you versus going by external metrics, like you could say weight or body composition versus like how I just feel. You know, mm -hmm. um, if you just go by how hungry you are and just eat when you're hungry, um, and then maybe have like a weekly weigh in just to monitor it or whatever. I mean, do you think, because it's really hard to scientifically go about your diet and measure calories, measure each of the macronutrients and write it all down. Log it. I mean, that's a lot of work and almost impossible sometimes. Um, and even to know how many calories you're burning, you know, that's kind of a big question mark. So I think most people probably just at the end of the day, you know, I eat when I'm hungry and but at the end of the day, you still do need a certain number of calories, you know, whether you feel them or not, because um, it is calories in, calories out. And you, you maybe you need a little deficit. Maybe you need a little surplus at certain times. But the at the end of the day, the numbers do matter. Mm -hmm. So it seems like there's this conflict between the, the hard numbers of the calories versus how I'm feeling. Because it seems like it could be possible to under eat, but still be satiated, you know. Mm -hmm. If you're just eating a ton of like celery and potatoes <laughs> and stuff. So, I mean, yeah. how at what point do you stop going off just like what you feel and look at the numbers and the external stuff, you know? Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, because it can go both ways. Some people aren't hungry after workouts at all. And so they underfuel if you were just to basically go off of how you felt. Um and other times when your training's really hard, you're hungry all the time. Um, and if you're not sleeping, because oftentimes when you're, you know, training really hard, your sleep gets impacted. And so that's going to make you more hungry. So you can't only go off of how you feel. Um, and like you said, tracking all the time isn't um, really practical either, because there's a lot of other things that we have to think about. But it's useful. So I always recommend when you're in your like base phase of training, so or off season, that's a good time to determine your baseline calorie level, right? So a week where you're not gaining or losing weight, you're just kind of in balance. And tracking what you eat right um and then you determine what your what your body needs just to maintain its weight without you might be doing some level of exercise but it's nothing crazy or too intense um and so once you get your baseline and you look at what you're eating you have an idea of how many calories that is 
not because you're necessarily weighing and tracking everything, but you just know, right? Like if I eat a half a cup of oatmeal and a banana every morning, like I know that that's, you know, what my breakfast calories need, you know? So you just kind of start to understand that. Um, and so after you get your baseline level of calories, then you adjust um, based on your training. So, um, you know, again, it's, it's a little complicated because depending on how fit you are, um, you're going to either burn more or less calories on the same run. So there's always some tweaking. <laughs> but again, you kind of get a, an, a, a good ballpark of how many calories you're going to be burning on, on certain runs. And so then you just add those calories to your baseline. And that can be in either your pre and post workout meal, it can be um, larger portions in your regular meals, um, or it can be even the calories that you're consuming during your workout. So a lot of times people think like, oh, I need to eat all this extra food, but they're not considering like, you know, the gels that they're eating when they're running, um, drinks, um, you know, all those other extras. And oftentimes that takes care of the extra calories for that run. Um, and then also to um, timing. So a lot of times, like I said, you might not be hungry right after your workout. But if you wait to eat, then it seems like your hunger is never really satisfied and you just like can eat way more than what you need. So timing's really important as well. Even if you're not hungry, I, I always just recommend drink a smoothie, you know, something simple, something that's easy to tolerate, digest, like while you're stretching, drink a smoothie, because if not later on that day, you're just going to be like starving. Um, so, so yeah, so timing, learning like what your baseline calories are and then adjusting um with how much training you're doing the type of training as well and then um just making sure that you're getting enough um protein as well like to recover and, and carbohydrates for like um energy wise so yeah it's it's a little bit of a learning process but just like with your training right like you log your miles you write down how you felt, um, you write down your splits, um, you know, you, you, you do all that for your running and um, it's nice to see the progression. Um, so what you did in training, what was the result of that? And you can do the same thing with your nutrition. So write down what you ate, how you felt um, and some other parameters and then you can see, okay, what do I need to adjust? Um, based on the results that you're experiencing. So yes, it takes a little bit of effort, but if you really want to get it down, that's what it takes. Yeah, and that sounds much more manageable the way you described it. Just take a week out of the year and be scientific about it. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like that would give you, and yeah, it's like you said, it's a baseline. You, you And then you'll know that information forever. Like, right. Um, I want to ask you about, uh, burning calories during a marathon. So there's this rule of thumb I've heard out there and it changes, you know, obviously based on, you know, age and weight and things, but there's a rule of thumb that you can store roughly 2000 calories worth of glycogen. That's like most people's maximum, give or take, um, which happens to be very close to and most of the time slightly less than the number of calories it takes to run a marathon. So there's this, for most people, there's this natural deficit of what the carbs you can store versus the carbs you're going to burn um, or the calories you're going to burn, I should say. Because obviously you have almost an unlimited amount of fat as a fuel, um, which can come into play which you want it to come into a play during the marathon. You want to be able to burn more fat so you can conserve the glycogen stores. Uh, how do you think about eating before a marathon? Do you think it's hard or easy to make sure you've maxed out your glycogen stores going into a race? Right. So, um, okay. So you're, you're right. We can store about 2000 calories depending on the size of the person. Um, some of it gets stored in your liver and then some in your muscle. So it's going to depend on your muscle mass as well as to how much 
glycogen you can actually store. So someone with more muscle will potentially be able to store more glycogen. Um, so that's one thing. Second thing is your liver is going to maintain your blood glucose levels and your muscle glycogen is going to provide energy to your muscle. So it's not going to provide um, any glucose to your bloodstream. So that's all on your liver and any, you know, um, sugar that you intake along the way. Um, and at about 50% capacity, so once you've burned through 50% of your glycogen stores, your um, performance is going to decline. So your body's never going to give up all of its glycogen either. Mm. Um, and that's why you're, you're going to slow down. You know, one of the reasons, not the only reason. So you do want to fuel um, pretty good before leading up to it. Again, to kind of like make sure that those stores are full. Um, and also during the marathon as well, because again, once you hit that 50% mark, your performance is going to decrease, you're going to slow down. Um, so leading up to the marathon, you want to just shift the amount of, um, nutrients that you're consuming. So if you're, um, eating, you know, like kind of a balance between proteins, fats, and carbs, I usually just say decrease the fats, increase the carbs. So not necessarily more calories, just the percentage of um, carbs to fat. So that way you're maximizing your um, the glycogen in your in your muscles. Um, and then I would say like two days before the marathon, that's when you can really bring down the fat and really focus in on those carbohydrates. Um, one, so that you're not waiting till the last, like the last day before the marathon to try to get in all those carbohydrates because it does take 24 to 48 hours for that glucose to get stored as glycogen. And two, you, at least for me, if I eat a ton of carbs the day before, then I kind of feel a little bit heavier and sluggish, you know, like mm -hmm. after Thanksgiving, where you're just kind of like, in a phase uh, coma, you know, like you don't really want to move because you had too much sugar. You can feel the same way the day, you know, after you eat a ton of carbohydrates. So you want to give yourself like two or three days to um, maximize the, the glycogen storage and not feel super lethargic um, the next day. And then, um, and then practicing like you're feeling during a marathon, um, just kind of like what your body needs to maintain that effort level. Um, you're right, you are going to burn some fat, but you still need carbohydrates to help that fat get burned. And if you're relying only on like your fat stores, you're going to be consuming more oxygen. So you don't, you know, you want you don't want to. Um, you don't want that to affect your performance, right? Because if you're consuming more oxygen, then you're going to slow down. So you want to have a right combination of how much carbs you're eating or taking in as you're running as well. Something you just said there, you need carbohydrates to help you burn the fat. Mm -hmm. Can you explain that a little more? Yeah. So um, in... Um, metabolism, there's certain um, nutrients that are needed for the process to occur. And a lot of those um, are made from carbohydrates. And mm. so if you don't have enough carbohydrates in your system, that whole process will slow down just because you don't have those nutrients available for the metabolic process to occur. So you might have all the fat, but you don't have the right nutrients to break down that fat in order for it to be metabolized for energy. So you always need a little bit of carb in order to for fat to be metabolized and used. Something else you said you it takes 24 to 48 hours for the glucose to be stored as glycogen. Mm -hmm. um, so if if leading the week of the marathon, we're trying to get, you know, maxed out up to 100%, if we want to call it 2000 calories or whatever, our 100% maximum storage, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, that level of glycogen storage, how maxed out are those stores on a normal basis? And I'm trying to kind of picture like how different that 
state of being is versus just our normal, you know, any other day of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're really good at um, your, your nutrition, like your, you know, your, (laughs) your recovery nutrition and fueling, you might be at like 80 or 90% because you're, you know, it's hard to be able to um, be at 100% because you're either doing a double run, your strength training, you're, you know, going to be running the next day. So likely you're not at 100%. Um, but if you're at a deficit and you're, you're not recovering and you're not eating enough to um, restore those glycogen levels, then you can incrementally decrease the amount of of glucose that's in your muscles and you'll see your performance decline. Um, So so you're probably never at 100% because we're always training and competing, but that's why down weeks can be great as well. Um, You know, in your training cycle, if you have down weeks every third week or fourth week, that's a good opportunity to, you know, restore your glycogen levels so that you're entering that new week um, close as close to 100% as possible. Yeah. I'm just imagining, you know, most people two or three days before a marathon thinking they have to eat this enormous kind of unusual amount of food because, you know, they want to load up or whatever. But it sounds like you probably don't actually have, like you said before, it's not necessarily that many more calories than you would normally eat. Mm -hmm. It's just maybe increasing the ratio of carbs. It takes some of the pressure off this mindset that you have to just pig out for two days or something because i mean that could probably have some negative effects like you were saying feeling bloated or even like gaining Mm -hmm. a couple pounds or something um so okay cool um what do you do you have a specific strategy or uh, product for during a race as far as fuel goes yep so i um have been drinking uh this um a beverage. It's a carbohydrate um, electrolyte beverage called Soar. And that's what I use to fuel during my runs. Um, so fortunately, I am able to have bottles um, like fluid stations along the way. Um, uh, and so I drink about four to six ounces of that every 5k. And that seems to work for me in terms of like, my ability to um you know, uptake that uh, amount of fluid without it causing any upset stomach. Um, but again, I practiced for a long time, finding mm-hmm. that, you know, the right amount. Um, and one thing that I always kind of try to encourage is to start early because um, the later that you start, you, you know, your core temperature goes up. And so it's harder to absorb glucose. Mm. So if you wait until, you know, you actually need it, it's going to be harder for your body to absorb it. So start early, even though you don't need it. Like you might be like, why am I even taking this at 5K? I have burned maybe 100 calories. It's not for right now. It's for later. Um, Again, just kind of priming your body to be able to use the glucose. And, um, you know, again, once your your core temperature is um, pretty elevated, it's harder for your body to absorb glucose and, and use it. So it's starting early is important. Do you know the calories on that? Like how roughly how many calories you're getting with those servings? Yep. So it's about 140 calories for about 15 ounces. So probably about 50 calories, um, around 50 calories. So it's not a lot, um, mm-hmm. but it's enough. Again, because I've properly fueled leading up to it, it's what I found works best for me. Um, so I'm not relying completely on just what I'm getting from that drink. It's stores. Um, mm-hmm. And then that's just kind of keeping my blood sugar stable and providing with me with a little bit more energy. Yeah, because if you're taking about 50 calories every 5K um, and you get to do that, what, seven or eight mm-hmm. times? So you're getting, what, 350, 400 calories in over mm-hmm. the course of a marathon? I mean, that's a, yeah, like, I mean, kind of like we were saying before, you know, if you're using the 2000 rule of thumb and 
I don't know if the 100 calories per mile being burned is very accurate, but I've heard that rule of thumb too. Um, yeah, it's a general, it's a lot of times you'll see numbers and it, it's just general, right? They're generalizations, right. a place to start, and then you tweak and find what's best for you. It's yeah. super hard to match what you're burning to what you'll be consuming. I mean, it's really, really hard. Right. Um, your body can only uptake so much at a time. So even if you ate enough that what you're burning, your body can't absorb all of that, right? So it's just going to stay in your gut and cause problems. So you have to find the right amount for you that your body can absorb and again just going into the marathon properly fueled not under fueled mm -hmm. and that's going to help if if it takes 24 to 48 hours for um you know carbohydrate to be stored as glycogen in your muscles the calories and the sugar you're taking in during a marathon what specific it sounds like that's not going back to refuel your muscles what's the specific function of those sugars going in during, is it just kind of keeping your blood sugar at the right level or what, what's mm -hmm. happening there? So the 24 to 48 hours is to store the glycogen in your muscles. You can still use the energy um, as it goes into your bloodstream. So yes, primarily it's keeping your blood sugars stable. So for your brain, for your heart, your lungs, um, and it will also give some energy for your muscles. So you can use that energy. You just can't store it. So you wouldn't oh. be storing any glycogen in your muscles when you're, you know, taking that in. Right. Okay. So muscles can use energy from its stores or from coming mm -hmm. in from the bloodstream at the same time. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, one more question on the uh, glycogen real quick. How, if, sure. if it takes that long for it to actually become stored, how long do those stores just hang out if they're never like touched or burned up? What, you know, do you know like how long they can just last in your muscles? I mean, if you're, so it depends, right? Like if you're eating a normal diet and you're never exercising, then you're going to be using some of it, right, just for normal daily functions, but you're probably never going to be tapping into it that much. So any other carbohydrate will be used for like the energy that your body needs right now just to survive or stored as fat. Mm. Yeah. So there's not an unlimited capacity of your muscles to store glycogen. Once they're full, they're full. That's it. Um, there's no, right. there's no stuffing it in there anymore. Right. <laughs> so, um, so there's, your body's not stagnant, right? It's always going to be, you know, using energy, um, because we're alive. So, um, everything that we do requires energy. So it's never really, um, going to just be stuck there. You're going to be using some of it, but yeah. very little if you're not active because your body will use, you know, other stores like fat um, at lower intensity levels. So you can have that glycogen be there for a while if you're not using it. Okay. So mm -hmm. that's good to know, know too. It's like, um, you know, you don't have to wait. Like you were, you were talking about um, getting them stored up days in advance, but it's not like I got to get them in there the night before because it's like use them or lose them once I, I have a short window of time or anything like that. It's kind of no, a no. process. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Have you ever been in a marathon and because uh, this whole glycogen depletion thing, this is like hitting the wall, you know, um, mm -hmm. it's kind of like a big deal. And have you ever been in a marathon and, and known like distinctly that, yeah, I totally got depleted. I ran out of glycogen, like hit the wall, totally just dropped off a cliff. Yes. <laughs> um, it was the first time I tried to get under three hours. Um, I was really excited about this marathon. I was like, you know, probably, you know, the fittest I'd been, you know, the first kind of like competitive marathon that I was doing. Um, and I went out way too fast because I felt really good um, that first, you know, few miles. And I was keeping up with some pretty fit ladies. And I was just like, super excited. 
probably burned through all my glycogen stores that first like half marathon. And then I just was like holding on. And I remember um, the last probably like two or three miles, I my pace just like changed dramatically. It was like a minute and a half slower than what I was mm. trying to run. And the only reason that I made it was because I had friends on the sidelines that were just like yelling for me to finish because I really wanted to stop. Um, so that and then also um, the LA Marathon, um, the trials in the LA Marathon, it was really, really hot. And you burn through a lot more um, glucose when it's hot. Mm. And so yeah, that I walked a few times <laughs> during that, that marathon. So yeah, those two stick out for sure. Um, okay, speaking of the trials, I will wrap up with this question here. Um, can you kind of take us through your experience at the 2020 trials in Atlanta because it sounds like it wasn't hot and humid like this 2016 trials but it sounds like it was really windy really hilly a lot of people had a bad day um it wasn't your personal best time but it wasn't far off either um and you finished 23rd so just how did that race go for you honestly like you said it wasn't my PR but I think it was one of my better races I um, even, I mean, even though it was, it was super windy A funny story, like, um, so they have tables set up for us, you know, with the fluids and the volunteers were so amazing. They were like cheering for us and just, you know, encouraging us along the way. And so we're coming up in a group and, um, they're all cheering and this big gust of wind comes by and like blows the table into the cars. <laughs> <laughs> so they had to like run and like take the table so we wouldn't fall over it. So it was really super windy, like with really strong gusts and, and hilly for sure. But um, I had just come back from injury and um, I was just ready to run a good race. And I was really pumped that I was able to because I just started training in October um, from being um being off like gosh like three or four months um so I was I was really motivated I was really excited that I made it there you know fit you know without any injuries and um and then the experience itself was just amazing like they did such a good job there was so many people there cheering for us um the whole experience was amazing they um they really treated us so great like the Atlanta track club did such a great job and so the energy I mean it was such a contrast from 2016 where it didn't even really seem like the trials was happening and this year everybody was so excited the energy was great everybody was happy like I would see people just walking in the hotel just happy and you just felt that vibe going into the race um and so I think just the vibe, the energy, and um, me just being very thankful for being there, um, you know, having my husband there because he never gets to come to my races. So that was really exciting. Um, I got to share the experience with one of my training partners. He qualified for the trials as well. Um, and so, yeah, I just, um, it was really hard, but I think just the experience itself really helped um, keep me going. And, um, and I just, yeah, it was, it was a really good race. Uh, Obviously it's hard, you know, like you experience the whole, um, ups and downs of the marathon and, and with that, with the course being so challenging because it was, you know, pretty hilly, there was no flats. Like you were either going up or down. (laughs) That was it. I still have some black toes to show for that, (laughs) um, for that course, but it was awesome. And then, um, something really cool that happened was a girl that I was running with. I had never met her before, but we ran together probably for 16, 16 or 18 miles. Her name was Christina also. And so we were getting so much um, encouragement from her friends and family members and my friends and family members. So it was like double the energy for both of us. And we didn't figure it out until like, I don't know, a few miles in. Um, because I would hear my name being called, but I didn't recognize who it was. 
And so we were both like, are you Christina? And I was like, yeah, are you? And so um, that was really fun too. And so, yeah, there was a lot of really fun experiences that helped um, make that marathon a good one and, and very memorable. Our call got disconnected here, but I asked Christina when she thought she'd run another marathon. Yeah. So, um, so like I was saying, I'm excited to train for a 10K, just kind of see what I can do there. But I really feel that that's going to help me with training for a marathon because I feel like I kind of been stuck in one pace. Mm. And it's probably because I've been, you know, back-to-back marathon training. And so I feel like this will really help me um, maybe get another gear once it comes to another marathon cycle. So yes, absolutely. Hopefully in the fall, we'll see what's available. Um, right. and hopefully I can potentially get into a fall uh, marathon. Well, I'll be following along and watching out for what you come up with. Uh, Christina is on Instagram at Vergara Christina. Yep. And we'll link to all that here um, in the show notes. But again, thanks so much and uh, hope to uh, see some results pop up soon for you here on the 10K. When is that, by the way? We haven't decided on an actual 10K because there has there isn't really many out there. So um, it, right now this month, again, I was just kind of getting back into the rhythm of things and seeing how my body responds and then putting something on the calendar. So okay. I haven't thought of a date just yet, but hopefully soon. Um, and yeah. Well, that's a great position to be in. Just do it when you're ready to do it. For sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good luck. And again, thanks again. We'll go ahead and wrap it up there.